The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Disgust. Disgust is a very helpful reaction. So imagine you go and you open the dumpster after some things have been living in there for far too long. Little creepy, crawly, squirmy things eating at your rotten food. You open the lid of the dumpster and out comes this stench. Maybe you can feel it now. Maybe I'm going to make some of you sick. I won't describe any more. The sense of disgust, right? The sense of disgust is helpful, not just because it's alarming to see what's in the dumpster. It's helpful because it keeps you from doing something really stupid like taking a scoop out of what's in the dumpster and eating it. That's what disgust is for. Disgust keeps you from touching, from handling, from eating, from tasting things that are awful. It's what keeps you from eating the cheese that's been sitting in your fridge for too long. It's what keeps you from doing things that you shouldn't do. Disgust is a very helpful reaction. You feel it in your gut. And in fact, that's an important thing in the biblical world, in the time of Jesus and in the ancient Hebrew world, your gut was really the center of your emotions. It's where you felt everything, love and hate. And we feel it now, even now, in disgust. Disgust is very helpful. It's very helpful. But it is also something that our world kind of relishes. So if we turned on the TV, it would not be long. It would not be long at all before we saw something that is disgusting. Something that should make us recoil. Something that should make our guts turn. Because the world kind of relishes disgusting things. You can find examples of this all over the place. An indulgence, a fascination with things that should make us squirm and recoil. That's how our world operates. It makes sense. It makes sense because our world loves sin. And our world is inhabited by demons. 
Our world loves sin, and our world is inhabited by demons, and both are disgusting. Sin and the devil and the demons, they are disgusting. And that's how we should react to them. When we hear about sin, when we hear about the devil, we should recoil. We should say, I don't want to touch that. I don't want to see that. I want to abstain from that, from every form of evil. But if you remember from a few weeks ago when Jesus was tempted by the devil, you remember that the devil is wise and wily. And he knows he's disgusting. And so he kind of tries to dress things up along the way. He doesn't come to you with a moldy piece of bread that he found on the kitchen floor and say, says, he doesn't say to you, isn't this really enticing? Wouldn't you like to eat it? Instead, he dresses things up a bit. He takes that moldy piece of bread and he frosts it nicely and puts some icing on top and puts a candle in it and says, look, I've got you a birthday cake right here, right for you. He dresses it up, tries to make a disgusting thing look more enticing. He adds to it flavor and color. He appeals to our sensibilities, the things that we know are good, the things that we should be attracted to. He takes sin and makes it look wonderful, but it does not change the fact. All of that icing, all of the decorations, the candle on top, none of that changes the fact that it is a moldy, putrescent piece of bread. Sin and the devil and demons, they are disgusting because they are contrary to everything that is good. That is their only existence, contrary to everything that is good. Sin is, at its root, a hatred of God. God says to us, I love you and I want to give you good things, and sin says, no, those aren't good things. These other things, these awful things, this is what is good. God does not love you. You should hate him. You should despise him. You should want nothing to do with him. He's ugly. He does not love you. That's what sin says. It is utter hatred of God. That's what the devil says. That's what the demons say. The, their only task, their only goal is to get you to despise God. And it is disgusting. It's disgusting. It's like reaching into the dumpster and taking a bite. It's awful. And yet they strive all the time to entice us, to lure us, to tempt us, to mislead us. And so we have to watch out. One of the ways that we should watch out is by cultivating a true sense of disgust. Maybe you've observed this over the course of history, your lifetimes, how we as a people have become less and less disgusted with things that used to be obviously disgusting. So it used to be that if you would turn on the TV and you see something, saw something really shocking, you would recoil and you'd turn the TV off. But now we're just glad when whoever's singing at the Super Bowl keeps all of her clothes on, as if that's a mark of sanctity, as if that's a mark of piety. We're not disgusted by the things that we should be disgusted by. Or look around you in the world, the things that this world does in plain daylight, openly, not in secret, the things that used to be hidden in the darkness. Things become less and less shocking over time. Things that your neighbors do that you would never have thought they would have done. Things that your family and friends do that should have been alarming, should have been written off long ago. We are so tempted to become desensitized, to become accustomed to disgusting things, and so no longer to treat them as disgusting. We should cultivate a sense of disgust. Now, this is going to put you outside of the mainstream. If you do this, if you react appropriately to disgusting things in the world, you're going to seem like a fanatic. You're going to seem like a crazy religious person, but that's okay, because you're God's crazy religious person. You're his fanatic. And so react with disgust when you see things that are disgusting, call things what they are. That's a lie. That's slander. 
That's not true. That's gossip. You're disobeying your parents. You're being adulterous. You're defiling the marriage bed. Whatever it might be, call it what it is. Be disgusted because that's how we should react when we don't react appropriately, when we don't react with disgust, when we tell our bellies to just calm down a little bit, don't be so disgusted by this, they listen. And eventually we lose the reactions that we should have, the salutary and godly reactions that we should have, and then sin and the devil and the demons, they can have their heyday. They can feed us all the moldy bread they want and we will never know the difference. Worm-ridden, putrid, rotting, infectious, that's what they want to feed us. And we should say to everyone around us, don't eat that. We should say to ourselves, don't touch that. And yet, and yet, so often we do. Look around you and pay attention to the things that you have become desensitized to, the things that you know better about, the things that you know should alarm you but don't anymore, and cultivate in yourself a sense of disgust. Here's how you do it. Listen to what God says. Take him seriously. Listen to what he said through the Apostle Paul in our epistle lesson today. Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Any, anywhere, anytime there is something other than thanksgiving, you know we have a problem. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you, Paul says, with empty words. Be disgusted by disgusting things. Now, this is all just by way of introduction in some sense, because what you see in our gospel lesson today is what happens when you are not alarmed, when you are not disgusted with disgusting things. So there was Jesus doing what he always did, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, and casting out demons. Here was a man who was possessed by a demon that made him mute, he could not speak. And Jesus cast out that demon because he is the Son of God who wants to save the world from the devil and his lies and from demons and from sin. It's the most natural thing in the world for Jesus to cast out a demon. How did the people react? How did things go? Well, in the first place, we hear that they marveled, which sounds like a really positive reaction, but in fact, it's kind of neutral. It may vary along the spectrum from, that's an amazing, marvelous thing that he just did, to... I can't believe he just did that. I can't believe he just said that. I can't believe he just called that a demon. That guy's just mute. That's not a big deal. He's our mute guy. It's okay if he stays mute, if he remains mute. That's just fine. What's the big deal with this demon? He's not causing any trouble. He's not really hurting anyone. Maybe we like it a little better when that guy's quiet. He always says things we don't like to hear. Maybe it'd be better if he didn't talk so much. Why did Jesus have to do that? They marveled. They marveled that he would do this, that he could do this, that he did it. They marveled. And maybe there were some among them who marveled with thanksgiving, but we sure don't hear about them. Instead, much more attention is given to the folks who not only marvel, but then say, in order for Jesus to cast out demons, he must be using the power of demons. By the prince of demons, by Beelzebul, the lord of the flies, the demon who sort of roosts around piles of dung, that's who Jesus was using, his power to cast out demons. You see how wrong this is? How backwards it is? Nobody is rejoicing that a man has been freed from a disgusting, putrid demon. Instead, they're saying something must be wrong here. This can't be right. This can't be right for this to be going on among us, for this demon to be cast out. They lose their minds 
instead of rejoicing and thanking God. They were kind of cozy with the demons. They kind of liked them, like the people in the city of Athens who had this young girl who was possessed by a demon that made her clairvoyant so she could tell the future. They loved that demon. That was a very profitable demon to keep around. And when Jesus came and cast out that demon, he upset the whole, or when Paul came around and cast out that demon, he upset the whole apple cart. He ruined their source of profit. He sent the city into an uproar. Why didn't you just leave that untouched? Don't touch that. Why did you uncover the mold on our bread? We liked it better when it was covered in frosting and icing and with a candle on top. That's how they're reacting. They were cozy with the demons. They were cozy with the sin. And when Jesus came with his word, they did not want it. Instead, they'd rather accuse him of being in league with the devil. Now, Jesus responds in an incredible way. Jesus is always a better debater than anyone who's trying to argue with him. They should know better than to argue with Jesus. We should know better than to argue with Jesus. He says to him, well, here are the options. Either I am casting out demons by the power of the devil, as you claim, in which case the devil is fighting against himself, and that sounds like a loss for the devil. A house divided against itself can't stand. If the devil's attacking himself, well then, just let him do it. When an army turns its sword against its own soldiers, let him do it. Let him destroy themselves. But if I'm here by the finger of God, if I'm here with the word of God, by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. And something greater than Beelzebul is here. A stronger man is here. In either case, you should rejoice. In either case, you should thank God that this man has been freed from his demon, and they did not. That is what happens. That is what happens when we lose our sense of disgust with sin and the devil and with demons. We don't recognize salvation and freedom and life when it comes and slaps us in the face. We don't recognize the glory of God's kingdom when a man is freed from demon possession. He couldn't do anything to help himself. And here Jesus set him free and loosed his tongue. And what can he do with that tongue? He can praise God and he can pray and he can give thanks. That is the best thing ever. And no one, no one thought it was good. Jesus has come as a stronger man to plunder this house that is held captive by a strong man, the devil. The devil is a strong man. He's stronger than you and I are. On earth is not his equal. He's strong, and he holds this world in captivity. And that captivity is disgusting, and we should want to be free from it. Jesus has come as a stronger man to plunder that house, to set all the captives free, to call out sin and dispense forgiveness, to loose us from the bonds of the devil, to cast out the demons, to make us holy and good and righteous. He has come to clean house. Not cleaning house in the sense of casting us all into outer darkness, but coming to clean house in the sense of cleansing our hearts, to give us new and holy hearts, to teach us a way that is not full of disgusting, putrid things, but instead a life that is full of holiness and cleanness and purity, a good life, a life of love with him forever. It is far better. It doesn't even do it justice to describe it as the difference between diving in a dumpster and living in a mansion. It's even better than that. That's what he has come to do. That's what we miss if we lose our sense of disgust over sin and the devil. If we don't recognize sin for what it is, if we don't think it is as awful as it is, if we think that maybe there's no punishment for sin or that captivity to the devil doesn't really do us any harm, then what do we care if Jesus has come to save us? But Jesus has come to save us not just by casting out the demons, 
by giving us, but by also by giving us his own life. This is how important it was to him. This is how valuable it is to us. It was at the cost of his blood, his last breath, his sense of love from his heavenly father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave it all up to set us free, to set this poor mute man free, to set you free from all of the sins that plague you, the sins by which you are no longer disgusted, the sins that entice you again and again, the sins that you need to be freed from. He has come to do that by giving his life for you. Let us not neglect this great salvation. Let us not think that sin is a light thing, that the devil is a small enemy, that the demons cannot harm us. Instead, let us put our trust in Jesus. Now, he comes in this obnoxious way. You should pay attention. He comes in this obnoxious way. They can't stand it. And most people can't when Jesus comes. He's like, he's like a guy who's sitting at dinner with you and you're about to put a moldy piece of bread in your mouth and he smacks it out of your hand. He's not kind and gentle about you eating that moldy piece of bread. He says, don't do it. It's disgusting. Don't put that in your mouth. Or he's like a guy who comes into you, the mold guy who comes into your house and he sees mold on your walls. And he said, you know, if you, take, if you deal with that mold on the walls, I know you're going to find some more stuff behind the wall. So just leave it alone. Just leave the mold there right now. He's like, nope, I got my sledgehammer. We're going to work. I'm gutting this place because you need a new home. He's like the doctor who comes to you and says, you've got cancer. It's, you think that you're just not feeling well. You can't see what's growing inside of you, but I can see it, and I'm here to wipe it out. And so it's going to be painful, yes. You're going to feel like it's hurtful, yes. But this is your cure. This is your salvation. That is what Jesus has come to do. Pay attention to that. Watch out for that. Be disgusted by sin. Be disgusted by the devil. Be disgusted by demons so that when Jesus comes to heal you and to give you salvation and to teach you his word and to, tr- to instruct you in trusting in him, you will receive him with joy, with thanksgiving. You won't turn him away. You won't say to him, you must be no good for me. You must be working with the devil. Instead, you'll praise God that at long last salvation has come to this house. You'll praise God that you have been blessed you have been blessed to hear the word of God and keep it. Did you see that at the end of our lesson? All kinds of people think they are blessed. And this person who cries out from the crowd, they think that Jesus must be blessed because he had such a wonderful upbringing and his mother must be blessed because she had such a wonderful child. But Jesus says, no, blessed rather are you. All of you sitting here today, blessed are you because his word has come to you. Blessed are you when you hear his word and when you keep it. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.